Our scripture reading this morning is 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. This is God's word. Where's Kitty? Have you ever seen one of those pictures that you can see them online and so on, where they have all these different items and somewhere in there is a cat and you're supposed to find that cat. Uh, that's kind of like what it is like finding a senior pastor. <laughs> you're, you're looking at, at this point, about 300 names and you're trying to figure out where's Kitty? Where is that person that that God wants to be the next senior pastor of First Evan. Now, one of the things I've found with these different things where you find the hidden whatever it is, once you see it, then you can see it. But until you've had, you know, basically a circle around it, you're going, where is this thing? The wonderful thing that God has provided is a spotter's guide for us to be able to identify where is the man of his choosing. And this spotter's guide is kind of double duty. It works for both elders and for pastors. So the two companion passages, one was just read from 1 Timothy 3 and another from Titus chapter 1, actually tells us here's what you should be looking for. This is what I want you to find as your next senior pastor. Now, 1 Timothy gives us actually 16 characteristics. The other passage that is the companion passage, first is in Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9, and it reads like this. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife having children who believe not accused of dissipation or rebellion. For the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that he will, he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. These two passages tell us exactly what God is looking for in elders and in pastors. 
Now, between those two passages, there are 26 total characteristics. There are five identical qualities in both passages. It's the exact same Greek word. Eleven are unique to 1 Timothy, and ten are unique to Titus. So between the two, we get a composite view of what God says are needed. Now, I'm not going to try to go through all 26 for you in detail, but they all orbit around seven key questions. And here are those questions. What's the bottom line? What can we say about him? Who is he on the home front? Where is his heart? How does he relate to others? How does he personally engage with and minister from God's word? Toward what ends has he applied himself since coming to Christ? What's he been doing since he became a believer? And number seven, how do unbelievers view him? So that's what we're going to look at. Now, you have in your bulletin a handout. So if you uh, take that handout, which looks like this, it lists all 26 of those qualifications and organizes them around the seven categories that answer to the seven questions. Now, I have to acknowledge that I got this from a book, this book, Shepherdology 101, but the author was kind enough to tell me I could go ahead and, and take it. So that, that's nice. So anyway, you have a copy of Appendix 4 from that book in this handout. And I am encouraging you to hang on to this. That's why it's a separate sheet, because sometime, I don't know when, but sometime, God is going to bring someone to us as a congregation who is a candidate for the position of senior pastor of First Evangelical Church. This is what you need to ask the question, is he the man of God's choosing for this position? This is what you will use to be able to do that. And on the front page of this, you'll find that it provides a summary answer to all seven of those questions that I just raised. What's the bottom line? He's above reproach. He presents a positive and attractive example of what it means to be a servant of Jesus. Who, who is he on the home front? He's an exemplary husband and father. He displays surpassing devotion to his wife and effectively coaches his family to follow the Lord. Where's his heart? He loves the Lord and whatever God loves with all his heart, his mind, and his strength. Question four, how does he relate to others? He's a relational asset, not a relational liability. He winsomely cares for and helps others do what is right, regardless of personal cost, without power struggles or self-promotion or angry outbursts. Question five, how does he engage with and minister God's word? He's a growth asset. His deep personal devotion to God's word empowers him to promote the truth-driven transformation of others. Question six, has he made the most of his time since coming to Christ? Yes, he's seasoned. This man has spent considerable time growing in maturity and maturity, uh, humility and maturity. And then number seven, how do unbelievers view him? He's respected. He lives out his allegiance to Jesus in the public square, both by his example and his witness. So that's basically what we're looking for. And then you see in the material that follows, what I've done is given you the, the phrase or the term 
from either Titus or from 1 Timothy. And then in the right-hand column, I've given you a very succinct definition. This is what that quality stands for. So you need to, when you're considering pastor next, you need to go through that list and be able to say, is he this, is he this, is he this? Because we're in the process of getting ready to present to you names for consideration as elders, you can do the same with respect to that group as well. So what I want to do is jump in and answer a few questions and make some observations about these qualities. And so I'm going to focus in on a few details without necessarily duplicating just reading what's in that sheet that you have. So let's walk through 10 different things that I'll tell you. These are some important insights for you to have. First one would be that above reproach comes from actually two different words. You know, in Titus, it says he must be above reproach. And in 1 Timothy, it says he must be above reproach. Same English phrase, but it's actually two different Greek words in the original. Uh, in 1 Timothy, it's anapoleimtos, uh, which means no criticism sticks. There's nothing bad that you go, oh, that's who he is. And then anakletos is the word in Titus, which means he's well spoken of by all. So nothing bad to say, no matter who you talk to, something good. In the Bible, virtue lists have two classes of qualities. Uh, virtues, those are positive attributes. You need to be this. And then vices, don't be this. And so those two words that are used in Titus and 1 Timothy that are translated above reproach approach is basically saying none of the vices, yes to the virtues. That's what we're looking for. In Titus 1.7, second observation, above reproach has the phrase, as God's steward. In other words, in the final analysis, God's the only one whose opinion matters. Is this person these things in God's eyes? And we're going to make the best estimation of that, but we want to ask the question, would God say of this person, he is this? He is this, he is this, and he is not this, and not this. One woman man, which that's a literal translation of the phrase that's translated husband of one wife. It's actually one woman man, and that denotes a man of singular devotion to his wife. Uh, this may not have been true of him in the past. Remember last week we talked about must be? You need to be able to say this is who he is. But it's possible that sometime in his history that was not true. But it is, this is key, no stretch to describe who he has become in Christ as a man of exemplary devotion to his wife. In Ephesians 5, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. This one-woman man is a great illustration of how Jesus loves the church. That's what husbands are told to do, to, to love our wives like Jesus loves the church. So when you're looking for pastor next or when you're looking at an elder, potential elder, 
You're looking for a man where when you look at how he relates to his wife, you catch a glimpse of how Jesus loves the church. It says he has children who believe. And some people might say, well, what age are we talking about? The word children, there's two words that can be translated children in the original language. This is technon, not paideon. What's the difference? Technon means offspring without regard to age. For example, when uh, Paul talks about that uh, children are to provide for their parents when they get older, he uses technon, not paideon, which refers to younger children. In other words, having children who believe means having children who could be adults, who are a demonstration of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. In the uh, Timothy passage, he says, how shall someone manage the church if he doesn't know how to manage his household? In other words, home management is a window into church management. Now, you could ask this question, well, what about someone who has a prodigal? And I would say, that's possible. Uh, you know, it's challenging as a parent. Even in Jesus' case, you know, he invested almost like a parent in 12, but there was one who betrayed him. Uh, it is possible for there to be an outlier with someone who meets the qualifications for uh, an elder or as a pastor, but the trend is believing children. It says having children who believe. It doesn't say having all children who believe. But you need to be able to say the norm, here's an outlier, but the norm is that he has invested in his children in such a way that they are followers of Jesus Christ. And not just naming the name of Jesus, it says not accused of dissipation or rebellion. Their, their lifestyle actually backs up their claim to be a follower of Jesus. Um, I'm going to admit this is a really tough one. But this is what Jesus wants for leaders of his church. He says, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion. By the way, that phrase I just quoted, not accused of dissipation or rebellion, that's interesting because that's the exact same word that Paul uses a few verses later. He's, he says that they... The elder must be one who is devoted to the word in order that he may be able to teach and exhort and silence certain men. For there are many rebellious men. And he uses the exact same word for rebellion. In other words, it won't do to have an elder who has raised rebellious children who is going to effectively minister to a rebellious church or to rebellious opponents of the faith. So you need to have a man who is a man who has well invested in his children and raised up children who are not accused of dissipation, loose living, or rebellion, resistance against authority, because they have truly embraced Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Rebel raisers on the home front are not well suited to the challenge of rebel silencing on the church front. Uh, fifth observation, seven of these qualities all orbit around where a man's heart is. These are terms that describe who is he on the inside. 
Well, how do you look at the inside of someone? Well, words and deeds are a window into the soul. So do you hear, do you see a man who loves doing and thinking what pleases God? Is that his heartbeat? So as you listen to what he says, is your conclusion, oh, this is clearly a man who's got a heart for God. This love for good is what motivates him to pursue becoming an elder in the first thing. It says, and this is from the Timothy passage, it says, it is a fine work he desires to do. And the word translated fine is the same word good. In other words, he loves what is good, and that's what motivated him to pursue becoming an elder or a pastor. In Rochelle, in my case, uh, this actually, we experienced this. At the time, we had been married about a year. I was working in heavy construction as a heavy equipment operator. Rochelle was an executive secretary. And uh, we were helping the youth group at our church in Tacoma, Washington. Now, you didn't know him yet, but Rochelle and I did. Uh, there was a guy there named Jay Letty, who eventually became one of the senior pastors here. But at that time, he was the youth pastor at First Presbyterian Church of Tacoma, Washington, where Rochelle and I were helping with the youth group. And we invited a guy named Bill McKee to come as a speaker for a conference we held for the, for the students. And I still remember the question he asked. Are you doing something that only a child of God can do? And I'm not saying that if God has called you to be a garbage collector, that that's any lower station. Do whatever God's calling you to do. But in that moment, I knew, and later talked with Rochelle, and she knew. God wants us to do something else. And so about the time that Jay and Linda Letty came here to Memphis for him to become the youth pastor at the time at First uh, Evangelical Church. God called us and we saved up our money and about a year later packed up the U-Haul and drove to L.A. where we pursued college and seminary and pastorate and whatever all. But it was because there was in our heart, I want to do what God wants. I want to respond to what he's asking. That's the heartbeat of someone whose heart is the heart of an elder or a pastor that we should be looking for, who's doing what he does as a response to God because he wants to please him. He's devout and he loves what is good and his heart is drawn to what has true value in the eyes of God. He's temperate and sensible. This is all still a part of this inside of him. He sees and thinks clearly about what will please God and will, what will promote what is truly good. He's self-controlled, which means he brings what he says and does into alignment with his heart. In short, he loves the Lord and loves what God would call good with all his heart. That's the heartbeat of your next pastor. Number six, eight of those qualities speak to how he impacts others. Talks about how he relates to people. You know, the ones we just talked about are who is he on the inside. But here, when you insert him into a group of people, what happens? He's respectable. He's hospitable. He's gentle. He's peaceable. Those are the positives, the must-haves. He's not pugnacious, which means a striker, a, 
a fighter. He's not self-willed, doesn't have to have his own way. He's not quick-tempered. You know, you trigger him and he flies off the handle. Those are all the negatives. Those are toxic. This is the kind of man you would seek out for relational help and guidance. He'll improve relationships. The pugnacious, the self-willed, and the quick-tempered will make things worse. Insert him into a relational challenge, and people will actually come away liking one another less because of what he's done. This man needs to be one who is holding fast the word in order that he may be able to teach and exhort. He's holding fast the word. That means he's devoted to the word. And that's what fuels his ability to be an exhorter and an encourager and a refuter. He, he goes to the Bible. It's his first resort. It's possible for someone to do this, by the way, without being a dynamic public speaker. As you're thinking about men who can serve as elders, they don't need to necessarily be, have pulpit prowess, but regardless of the size of the group to which he speaks, he needs to be someone when you speak, you hear what God says about something. He communicates God's truth. And we desperately need truth brokers today because we're living in a day and age where that seems to be going out the window. He's not a new convert. That's about not just how long has he been a believer, but how well has he used his time as a believer to grow and to be grounded. To recognize someone as an elder who became a believer just a year before can fuel pride, according to this passage. So find someone who has used well their time and grown in ways that demonstrate humility. This is an interesting thing, uh, number nine, his reputation with outsiders is about someone's, quote, testimony. In other words, he has to have a good reputation, that word reputation is martyria, talk about that in a minute, with outsiders. Outsiders is clearly a term referring to those who don't know Jesus. And so you're looking for someone who has a good martyria with outsiders, with non-believers. And you could easily ask, well, how is it possible to have a good testimony from non-believers? If that's a criteria for the consideration of someone who is our next pastor or who is going to serve as an elder, great question. There's two ways, and in both cases, I'm going to use words that come from this passage in, in Timothy and Titus. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 10 through 12 says, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own uh, business and work with your hands, just as we commanded you, so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. And that word outsiders is the same one that is found in our qualifications for an elder passages. Outsiders are those who don't know Christ, and he's saying conduct yourself in a way in which they would say, he's an asset. He's, he's a good man. You, you talk to his neighbors, and they would say, he's, he's a good guy. Now, I get it that there are those outsiders who would potentially say, I can't stand him because he believes some things that I do not agree with. In fact, when he talks about them, I'm triggered and I get mad. 
Well, here's a second way that you can have a confirming testimony from an outsider. This is from Revelation 6-9. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony. There's our same word, martyria, which they had maintained. In other words, here's a future moment in which some believers gave a good testimony to outsiders that led to their death. <laughs> In other words, it is possible to have a good witness with outsiders because even when they have animosity, it confirms we're the real thing. So when you're looking for someone who has a good reputation with those outside, you're looking for someone who, whether it is in the form of esteem or animosity, it's based on the fact that this guy is the real deal. Regardless of what world a man lives in, his public testimony should confirm his true identity. And then number 10, an elder is someone that you would seek out for godly counsel. Elder actually means that, you know, source of wisdom. Someone that you would say, I need some guidance. Go talk to him. Is it possible for a young man to be an elder? Yes, there's no specific age associated with elder. But the presence of these 26 qualities is explicitly required. He needs to be these things. And if he's not these things, he's not ready yet to be this. So, here's a quick summary. Here's what we should be looking for. Lock this in because there's going to come a moment sometime, I don't know when, but it could be soon, in which you need to ask the question, is he above reproach? Is he an exemplary husband and father? Does he have a heart for God that shows in his words and deeds? Is he someone who makes it easy for others to get along? Is he a man whose devotion to the word informs everything he says? Is he seasoned and humble? Is he someone who is the real deal even among those who don't know Jesus? That's what God says we should be looking for in Pastor Next. This is what God says we should use as a profile as we recognize elders. That's what we're after. How is it possible for a man to not come up short when considered against such a daunting list. The very existence of this list says it is possible. In other words, God does not give us impossible things. He gives us things that are impossible apart from his help. But it is possible for a man to be someone of whom you can say these things and legitimately use the words and the phrases. But God's help is needed. So, some of you might be saying, for example, uh, women in the room would say, well, Jim, that's all great, you haven't, but uh, none of that relates to me. Uh, trust me, in two Sundays, your date is coming because I want to show you companion virtues that God looks to for women who are going to be servants and mentors. And we'll talk about that on that Sunday. But... Regardless of who you are, well, let me add this. This list of qualifications, if you are single and a woman, this is what you ought to be looking for, a guy who has the potential to become this. 
Uh, if you are married, this is what you ought to be doing, whatever you can to support in your husband, to help him become these things. So how do we become these things? You know, how, how do we actually do that? And so what I want to do is take the remaining time to just walk you through how it is possible to become the things that we've just outlined are the essentials for Pastor Next and for elders. Uh, the first thing you need to do is admit your inability and ask Jesus for his help to save you if you don't know him as Savior and then to change you. You cannot become these things on your own or work at it somehow and become these things. So you need to be able to say, God, I want to become more what is in this list because I know this is what you want. So show me whatever I need to see. Teach me what I need to learn. Provide the circumstances that will help me to become this. So you do that first. That's your first thing to do. And anybody in this room can do this. Uh, I actually did this this week, and I'm going to walk you through what I did. Then you're going to tap into four resources based on a specific growth target. So what I did is I took this list, and you can scan through it, and I basically asked the question of the Lord, Lord, which area would you say I need to work on? Because I want to become more this. I want to become more the kind of man of whom you would approve. So you, you find one, and in my case, I found three. You know, there's three where I would like to get better at this, become more this. All right, find whatever your target is. And oh, by the way, when we look at the qualifications that I'm going to mention as it relates to women, some of the ones that are on this list are the same for women. Not all of them, but some of them are. So find your target. Pray for God's help. Ask Jesus to help you. Then tap into four resources. These are the growth resources. We talked about them last week. Basically, what is God going to use to change you, to help you become more like whatever it is you see in here. He's going to use circumstances. He's going to use his word. He's going to use prayer. And he's going to use encouragement, encouragement from other believers. Circumstances you don't have much control over, but you have a lot of control over how you respond to them. So you pick your one. You say, all right, I want to become better at this. And then you start collecting key verses. So let me just show you how that would work, all right? So let's say I'm reviewing the list, and let's say that I looked at free from the love of money. You know, I want to be someone who does not constantly think about how my life would be better if I had more money. It says he's not motivated by the desire to get rich. So if I pick that quality, then step two, start collecting relevant verses. So I would go to... 1 Timothy 6, uh, 19, where it says, instruct those who are rich not to become conceited, uh, rich in the present world, not to become conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies. So that verse, I can say, okay, that's going to help me. Basically what it's saying is, if you are rich, and in my opinion, everyone in this room, myself included, is rich. Instruct those who are rich not to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, 
My hope is in the Lord. Stuff doesn't matter. And not to become conceited. Don't say, well, I'm well off because of all the amazing things that I have done and am. That's a trap. But on God, who richly supplies all good things, my security is not my retirement. My security is not my stuff. My security is a good God and Father who's going to watch out for me no matter what. So you start collecting verses. I've identified my target. I collect verses. Number three, I go to someone who's an example and ask for their verses and thoughts. Who do I know that I would say, all right, I see this quality in him. And I would like to think that those who are shepherds in this church are good ones for you to go to. And ask them, hey, I want to work on this particular area. What's your, what's your guidance? What's your counsel? Step four, pray for God's spirit to work on you. God, I want to become more this. Will you please help me? Here's some insight that my shepherd shared. Here's a verse that I found. I want to live this. Show me how. Then God is going to answer your prayer by providing circumstances that are designed to reinforce the lesson. So start asking the question, God, what do you want me to learn from this that is going to answer to the development of this quality? You know, he tells us, you know, Count it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its perfect work, that you might be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Let circumstances, even trials, shape you more into what God wants you to be. Character cannot be developed. This is a quote from Helen Keller. Character cannot be developed in ease and quiet. Only through experience of trial and suffering can the soul be strengthened. And God will use that to help us get where we need to be. Number six, band together with others for accelerated growth. And there's find some others where you can say, how can I grow? And then praise him for when you make progress. In 1 Corinthians 16, 13, it says, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. These qualifications for an elder, qualifications for a pastor, are God's definition of what real men look like. In 1968, Tanzania selected John Stephen Aquari to run the marathon in Mexico City uh, in the Olympics. And in the course of the run, he stumbled and he fell and he injured both his knee and ankle. By 7 p.m. at the stadium where the runners would come and finish the last lap, by 7 p.m., all the runners had completed the race. There were maybe a few thousand spectators left in the stadium. But their attention was caught by a siren that went off. They would, they would have a siren signal when someone came to complete their last lap. And in came number 36, a quarry with his leg wrapped in a bloody bandage. But he made his last lap, and the crowd was cheering. A reporter went up to him afterwards and said, why did you continue the race after you were badly injured? And here was his reply. My country did not send me 7,000 miles to begin a race. They sent me to finish the race. 
Jesus did not save us to merely start the race. He saved us so that we would finish the race and become those who are like what he says, now that is what I'm after. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Hebrews 12.1 Laying aside sin, become more the man Jesus desires and the crowd in the stands will be cheering us, keep pressing on and Jesus will say, now that's what I'm looking for. Let's pray. Father, we're in awe of the fact that you have made it possible for us to become men and women of whom you approve, that your spirit is capable of producing in us such supernatural qualities like those that we see. Help us this week to identify a growth target and then to start working on it. Father, we want to become more like your son. Show us what we need to focus on today, this week, to become more like your son. Thank you that you hear our prayer and that you will organize circumstances, that you will use the encouragement of friends, that you will use your word, that you will hear our prayer to help us become more like your son. In Jesus' name, amen.